We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. from arsenalvision.co.uk and in the show today James, Elliot and Paul all discuss the Arsenal victory in Galatasaray 4-1 and they talk about Aaron Ramsey's goal obviously how could you not Lucas Podolski and plenty more so stay tuned for that but before all that good stuff just a few words of my own yeah I thought we played really well especially the first half but to be honest um, they weren't they weren't up to much were they really so so it's so it's it's hard to judge your performance properly because they didn't put any pressure on us to win the ball back and they and they played a really crazy high line which we carved them apart time and time again. So but as the, as the saying goes, you can only beat what's in front of you, and uh, we did that really well, especially in the first half. I thought we played some lovely football, some lovely little triangles around them, um, kept the ball really well, one touch stuff, and that's just when we were at our best. I was thinking. Especially during that first half, what would it be like if we had a fit Theo Walcott in that side, just making those darting runs from right from right to inside with players like Ramsey with space on the ball and you know it could have been far more um, convincing. I thought because like player like Joel Campbell, you know, he didn't really influence the game that much. And um, when when you when you've got a team playing such a high line and you've got fast players in your side, you should really exploit that. But you know, um, I thought we did, did we did pretty well. Lucas Podolski's goal was just incredible, brilliant finish. It just amazes me. Do you do you keep a player in the team because he can finish like that, and he can take like the first chance? How how many games have we played where we had chances and chances and we missed them all or they've saved or they've hit wide? Opposition gets one chance and they score. Totally changes the game. But but when you got Podolski on your side, if he has a chance, there's a good chance he's going to score. As he did in the in the first few minutes of that game, but you know it's an argument again. But when he plays when he plays against more difficult teams, um, and he doesn't get chances, then often, quite often, he does very little really. In those kind of games, he might get the ball and play a few five yard passes and jog up and down up the line, but it doesn't really affect the game. But you know that's a debate for another time, really. Um, excellent goal, I thought though. Just lashed it in the back of the roof, just bang. In the roof of the net, I should say, not the back of the roof. That would be weird. Um, and then, and then Aaron Ramsey's goal, as I'm, I'm mentioning on the um, on the match report, I thought his his first finish was really tidy. Overlooked now because of his um, because of his volley, but 
on his left foot in the box. He tried to try tried to look up for a pass, couldn't find one, so carried on and arrowed a shot on his wrong foot again into the corner. Great finish that was. Um, but that volley, that volley, I just I've watched that goal so many times and it just looks better and better every, every time I see it. It's crazy. But why are you even trying to volley that on your left foot from that, from that far out anyway in the first place? As you are volleying it, why are you getting such a connection on your wrong foot that it, it started so low and it just sort of like arrowed? It made that noise. It must have made that noise. You can't hit a volley like that and not make that noise. The top corner, just perfect. But um, I couldn't imagine him doing that again in, in like 100,000 shots on his wrong foot. Crazy. Very enjoyable. I don't know how much we needed to make both substitutions at half-time. I know um, Aaron Ramsey had a, a tight hamstring, so they wanted to take him off just in case. But uh, Flam, I don't know if that was because he played too many games or wanted to try out someone else, I don't know. But, yeah, those two changes um, made a big difference to um, the way we played played the game. Um, we couldn't build up a game properly. Um, and the home side started to get back into the game, so we couldn't continue our goal scoring, unfortunately. Uh, but we did get a late a late goal from Podolski again. On his right foot this time, which is unusual for him. After a pass from Sonogo. Uh so four four one. Um oh yeah, and, and they scored a free kick, which was pretty good. But it wasn't an Arsenal goal, so I don't care very much. Neither should you. Um we can if you want to. If you really want to care, care. You're right and all. Anyway, I am rambling, so I'm going to hand you over to the guys to discuss the game. Enjoy the po- Oh, before I go, don't forget that you, you can now get the Arsenal Vision podcast on iTunes and um, all that good stuff there. So, yeah, bye. It's a resounding win for the Gunners, but podcast presenter is still aggravated by it. All that and more on this edition of the Arsenal Vision podcast. We are recording uh, not just after, but depending on your view of time as a flat circle, recently after uh, Arsenal's 4-1 win over Galatasaray in Turkey. Was it dead rubber that was meaningless? Was it a morale-boosting win? Um, I think we can all agree that if the only thing that happened in that game was Aaron Ramsey's volleyed goal, then it was well worth uh, everybody making the trip to their televisions or Turkey to see it. And as always, I'm joined by two men who will do a better job explaining what happened than I will. So we'll dive into talking to them first. It's James. You can find him on Twitter at GoonerFaithful49. That's GoonerFaithful49. James, welcome back. GoonerFanatic49, but yes, good morning. Yeah, well, you know what? Cheers. You know what? I mean, maybe I'm trying to direct them to follow someone else <laughs> right. because, because I know we're going to disagree. All right, fine. Follow him on Gunnar Fanatic 49 if you want. I'm not recommending it. And Paul is back. Paul, you can find him at Poznan in my pants on Twitter. Um, and we have videos of that on Vine if you want to see them, too. Paul, welcome back. Oh, dearie me. Good morning uh, from rainy Chicago. Very Irish weather today. Well, rain is better than what I have going on outside my window. It's what happens when it rains, but it's below uh, zero degrees Celsius. So uh-huh. um, I was annoyed by last night. I was annoyed by the game. I was annoyed by the result. I was annoyed by what happened. And everybody <laughs> is going to hate me for it. Um, I'm going to explain that, but not right off the top. Off the top, the first thing I want to do is just get an overview very quickly from each of you of the game. I also want to talk about the young players because I think in in the scheme of things, it's it's going to be more relevant to sort of dissect what we thought of the performance of some of the younger players and the senior players. But James, we'll start with you. And basically the question I have is, what did you think of the performance overall? And would you basically say that the most important takeaway from this game was the hope, the indication the possibility that Aaron Ramsey might be pointing back towards the direction of his form from the beginning of last season. Um, the game was great fun. Um, I watched it with sort of the lens of there being very little pressure on the game. It was a very you know different side to what we've seen um, throughout the season. I fear that you know even had there been a loss, uh, the, the sort of the stakes would have been out from 
a large portion of the fan base. But I, I very much took the attitude of, you know, see what see what happens. Any any kind of poor performance or any performance as such can kind of be put down to it being a fairly makeshift side. But I thought, you know, listen, we have to qualify everything, especially given the kind of um, period the side is in at the moment. But yes, it was a dead rubber. Yes, Galatasaray weren't great, but it, you know, it one of the it was one of the first games this season. I think it was just. It was just, it was just a pure joy to watch, not because the performance as such was fantastic, um, but there were some great goals. We played some attacking football. Yeah, we had we there were a couple of issues at the back, but um, I think especially from my point of view, you know, I've talked a lot about Ramsey these last few weeks, and for me that was the best forty five minutes of football I've seen from an Arsenal player this season. Um, that's including any of Alexi's performances so far. I thought his, I thought his game was absolutely fantastic. I mean, from from the first minute to the forty fifth, his, you know, he had an, he had an assist, two goals. His defensive, you know, there was that slide tackle early on in the in the first half that he made in the penalty area. Defensively, he was great, um, and it was it was a pleasure to watch him. And you know how much I love him, so just to just to be able to watch Ramsey in that game. And look, you say. Yeah, of course, it's you know it's promising that perhaps that these are some of the kind of performances we can begin to, you know, expect from him in 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 more important games. But also, football's about the now and then. You know, it's in the moment, and just just watching Ramsey play like that for forty five minutes was was a pleasure to watch, and um, I was a happy boy. Yeah, and and I have to agree with you about Ramsey completely. And the interesting thing is, you know, James, we've gone back and forth a little bit off the podcast about Ramsey. Um, because I, I felt that he's struggled and you felt that he's done better than maybe I've given him credit for. And while that's probably true, just considering the general uh, way that I view the universe, um, you know, I think when you look at Ramsey last night, how spectacular he was. And I'm not just talking about the goals. There was the set piece delivery with the outside oh. of his foot. I mean, which was I'm still trying to figure out how he did that. Um to me, you know, we're all trying to defend him. We're all trying to see improvements. Oh, look, he did a running. Oh, he did a tackle. Look, did you see he did a tackle? Like, did you see he did some running? Like, come on, he's clearly improving. And then he turns up and and does and against weaker opposition, admittedly, but he does what he does last night. And you say, okay, that is the kind of Aaron Ramsey that if we have that caliber of confidence, coolness, finishing, passing, decision making. I mean, it wasn't just the goals. It was the the way he took set piece deliveries. It's the way he fed his teammates. It was the general decision making. And and granted, he was given a lot of space and time. But when he can play that way, that's the way we need him to play for us to really be at our best. Because if you look at a midfield with that Aaron Ramsey in it, it looks very different than the one we have to pat on the back for doing a running and a tackle. And look, the great thing about Aaron Ramsey is when he's not in form, you still get so much from him because of the way he plays the game. But hopefully we see more of, of that. Paul, um, it was it was great performance. What did you enjoy most about it? And what were your thoughts about, about Ramsey's, uh, first of all, sensational goal and, and all-around performance? Well, I concur with James's general view. I, I, again, I really enjoyed it. You know, it, we went into it not knowing if it was a dead rubber or not. It was dead rubberish. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it nearly had meaning for a couple of reasons. We were three nil up by 29 minutes. So six nil was a, a possibility, an outsider, but a, a possibility. And then the next thing, you know, Anderlecht could have gone one zero up instead. They went one zero down, but it was one, one, uh, you know, leading towards the end of the game, that could have turned around on their side. So it, it was kind of, it gave it the kind of feel that you didn't know what you were really watching. And uh, I thought there were a few kind of slightly surreal things about it. You know, Wenger yesterday naming the team. I mean, when's he ever do that? Uh, but I thought it was a brilliant move because uh, if, if it was just their PR team sitting down with them and saying, listen, if you want to take the sting out of, all the the bitching on Twitter and wherever else about what we're going to do and who we're going to play and what it means, etc. Let's you know, let's take all the heat out of it and tell them we're we're playing the kids. Um, and you know, everybody knew they were playing and everybody could settle into it. 
you you can argue it either way, but I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was also interesting that their manager, yes, the day before, also told how they were going to play, which was they were going to play basically with a high line pressing us, and they did, and the press didn't work, and they did have a high line, and time and time again. Um, so it was kind of an odd game. It was kind of like the Reading game. I know we'll get into the significance of it, where, you know, even looking back on it, when uh, um, it was Reading, wasn't it? The Carling or the Capital One Cup a few years ago, and we went whatever, 4 0 down, and we ended 7 5 or something. And it, it was maybe, it felt more important just to kind of give everybody that adrenaline shot in the arm and to raise the mood and to have some fun again when things were so low. Um, in the long term, what was its significance? Small, but maybe large in its own way. Im- important as a point along the arc of the season. Um, so I enjoyed the heck out of yesterday. I thought it was great. The difficulty with somebody like Ramsey is in a big game against big teams, everything comes down to a few moments and a few touches. Whereas yesterday against a team that gave us too much space, every player could show his stuff. And it was great to see uh, Ramsey being able to express what he's told us for the last couple of games, which is he's back. He's, he's feeling confidence. He's feeling a hundred percent. And yesterday we saw it in action. So. Uh, I, I think we, when we talked about this pod, we didn't think we were going to have much to talk about. Um, I think we could talk about this game as much as we could talk about any game, because one way or another, uh, it was fun, and we, you know, we still got a puzzle out. What was the significant? What did we just watch? What did it mean? Did it mean something? A little bit? A lot? Nothing? Everything? It didn't mean <laughs> well, everything. And well, it didn't, it didn't mean, mean everything. Nothing. But it didn't mean nothing to look I, taken in a vacuum. If you can't enjoy watching Arsenal dominate opposition, score goals, score wonder goals and win, then you're a miserable bastard. Um, and <laughs> what are so, you saying about yourself? <laughs> well, I think I pretty much said it, haven't I? Um, this isn't this isn't the innuendo hour. Um, I I enjoyed the game tremendously watching it, especially the first half. Um, I will say that I think the euphoria over the game vis-a-vis this shows how we can play or this is what we are. You know, I mean, for everybody getting negative about Stoke, you know, you see what we can be. I mean, let's not forget we beat them 4-1 the first time we played them too. And then we lost at Chelsea and Drew Hull at the Emirates. So, I mean, I don't know that this game becomes an indicator of anything. The only thing I think you can hope is if it's an indicator of the direction of Ramsey's form, then it becomes incredibly relevant. Um, I want to talk about why the game annoyed me just a little bit, just really quickly, get your response to it. And then we can, we can move on to, to greener pastures. But, you know, a few years back, Ajax got, I think, eliminated from the knockout stages by Lyon beating Dinamo Zagreb seven to one. Okay. Seven to one. They needed, they needed to, to overhaul a six goal difference advantage and they did it. Um, the reason I bring this up is very simple. This wasn't a dead rubber. It was a dead rubber for Galatasaray. It was not a dead rubber for Arsenal. Um, Borussia Dortmund is, granted, starting to win again domestically, but they're not in the finest fickle, as as uh, I think you say in England. Is that how you say it, James? Fine fickle? Fine Sure. I, I don't know. I've heard Arsblog say it, so... You know, trying to emulate the master. Um, <laughs> fettle, is that it? Fine fettle? Fettle. fettle. Ah, yes, got yes, it. Yes, Thank go. you. I, I could have asked you too, Paul. Sorry. Um, all right. Well, anyway, the point is, you know, it's not impossible that Anderlecht could get a result. We know they're a good side. We played them twice and, and saw their quality. Um, and Dortmund's not in the finest fettle, as I would just say naturally and normally. Um, you know, finishing first in the group, can t- completely transform a season. You know, you, you come back into the Champions League knowing you're drawn against someone you can beat. You beat them. You're moving on in the Champions League. I mean, that's something we haven't done in years. You know, we've been one one game and done in the knockout rounds for three, four years now. Um, and it can have a very big impact. And I do think it was fine to rest players. I, I think that's fair. You have to rotate. And, and no one says that more than I do. But I think you put Alexis on the bench. You put Santi Cazorla on the bench. If you had registered Giroud, you put him on the bench. But you get the idea. Um, and 
at 3-0 at halftime with Galatasaray waving a white flag with Felipe Melo on a yellow card and always a candidate to get sent off if you run at him. And and looking at the scoreline in Dortmund, I think it's incumbent on you to say, hey, we're in the Champions League. This is not a dead rubber. We realistically can top this group and have a very different European experience this year that can really lift the fans and really be important for us and do something we haven't done in years, which is move on in the Champions League. I'm putting on Alexis at halftime or or at 50 minutes, 60 minutes. I'm putting on Santi Cazorla and freshening it up. And we're going to really have a go at them. And I think they would have folded. And I think we could have put seven, eight, nine, ten past them last night the way they were playing if we had really put our foot on the pedal. And we didn't. We put on kids. And and granted, Ramsey and and Flamini were withdrawn for injuries. And that's fine. But we put on kids like Maitland-Niles, Zellalem. You know, who clearly weren't ready. Uh, the kid, I apologize, whose name I don't remember, who came on to play. O'Connor. O'Connor, thank you. Um, and and the game kind of settled into this this rhythm also of us just defending deep. I, I, we didn't press the issue. Um, there was no risk of losing what's by losing whatsoever because we were guaranteed second place. But it just aggravated me because I think we are. You know, it's just another little thing about this club. You know, whether it's not registering Giroud or, or put, you know, trying to put Rio on the bench the other year, these little details, that game was there to be won seven or eight nil. Pro- progression through the Champions League really depends on who we draw next. And topping the group wasn't out of our grasp. And at full time, Dortmund and, and Anderlecht did finish level. And I think we're left once again saying what might have been if we had approached that game as something a little more than a dead rubber. And that that did kind of aggravate me. And I posted a picture on Twitter, and you can look at it on my timeline if you want, of a free kick where basically our players were just walking back into the penalty box, and there were three unmarked Galatasaray players just standing in front of the goal. And with a decent pullback, it's a goal. And just the casual attitude in a situation where there was still something to play for, I think shows a lack of professionalism. So, all right, Paul, Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm a miserable bastard, and let's get ready to move on. But do do I have at least a point that when you're in the Champions League and topping the group is a huge, hugely significant uh, uh, difference from finishing second when you look at the teams that are potential matchups, did we we have a responsibility to at least have a contingency plan for trying to, to top the group last night? Well, I think you make a really good point. I know you you warned me on Twitter yesterday, you're going to say something uh, uh, kind of inflammatory. inflammatory. Yeah. Some might think it negative. Um, I think it's a good point. Uh, it's a debatable point. I I demur. I had to Google this to make sure it meant what I thought it meant. But I demur on this point, Elliot, in that uh, I I think had we set up to go after them to get six or seven, they would have played differently. And I think that's a difficult judgment that, that the man in charge has to make. And I think, I think he got it right yesterday. I think given the circumstances, given the bigger picture of the season, given all the variables, um, coming out of that match with a feel-good factor, um, and, you know, the the... the Based on how we approached the game, it went as well as it could have done. Um, I think we come out of it with a lot of positives, some a little bit of confidence restored, uh, some momentum, a better feel for at least, you know, one more game going into the next round uh, of the Premier League, the next week of the Premier League. Um, I see where you're going, but he's gone the other way and said... He needed to freshen things up. He needed to take the tension out of it. He could have send, sent the A-team, and we could have struggled to beat them 2-0. You know, that's football sometimes. Right. Sometimes, and, you, and, send, sometimes you send the kids, and it has a feel-good factor, and they play open, and they don't get punished. Because, uh, uh, you know, they could have scored after seven minutes. That ball that... Uh, they blasted and the guy fell onto it just in the box. Fortunately, he, he maybe wasn't their best finisher or he was having an off day and he missed the what's the seemingly unmissable. They had plenty of other good chances. On another day, it could have been Anderlecht 3-3. Um, yeah. it, feel, it feels like it was always going to be 3-0. Uh, 
uh, with a chance to go for six zero. But that could within seven minutes we could have been one one. Yeah. So it's the imponderables. I, I know what you're saying. I see the logic of having those two or three guys sitting on the bench, but the only way you really rest people psychologically is leave them alone for a week. So tough call. He made it. I'm okay with it. I see where you're going with it. Totally fair. I just want to make the point, you know, I think he approached it the right way from the start. I think when it's three nil at halftime and they look rubbish and they've got mellow on a yellow card, trying, trying to get himself sent off. If you bring on a, a Sanchez and a Cazorla at that point, I think they waved the white flag and, and, you know, look, it was four, four, one, and they only got their one from a, a you know, a worldy free kick by Schneider. And that was with, you know, a not so strong side. I don't have a problem with who he started opening kickoff I have a problem that at halftime we didn't have a contingency for saying you know what there's a legitimate shot I mean at three nil at halftime James at three nil with Anderlecht and Dortmund drawing and the way that game was going you have to see that as a chance to top the group don't you Elliot you you make a good point Mm -hmm. but I'll be honest with you I think it's I think it's mostly rubbish Okay, um, that's and, fair. I mean, that, that's just how I, his, I you know, his, at his, halftime, his why, his why, let, his let me just say one more thing. If you were on Twitter during that game, at halftime, people were talking about topping the group and pounding them 6-0. Yeah, it's, not well, like, it's not like nobody thought it could happen at halftime. Bringing on Maitland-Niles and Zellalem instead of, you know, a Sanchez and a Casorla, that, that's when you knew it wasn't going to happen. Sure, I mean, of course at halftime, hey, you have the feel-good factor. Yes, you've... You've put in the good work. You're three 0 up. Of course, there's a possibility, but there was also a possibility with the team that we had out there that we could have won it by six. I mean, listen. Here's the thing: going into that game, a you have the fact that Galatasaray have recently um, they brought in a new manager. They were on a little win streak going into this game. We're flying to Istanbul. We're off the back of a pretty demoralizing loss to Stoke. You can say what you want about what people were talking about at halftime, but we know how quickly the the sort of mood and the tune changes amongst us fans, given the sort of short-termism we often talk about with regards to football. And I, I'd be hard-pressed to find many fans going into that game at Istanbul with the team that we had out there that was expecting anything like a 6-0 win. In fact, I put plenty of money on, on there being a large majority of fans expecting us to get absolutely trounced, you know, out there waiting, waiting to sort of unleash their banner and their... And, you know, hurling some further abuse at Arsenal as to, you know, why why the team was so poor, et cetera, et cetera. And listen, I know that's also taking a fairly extremism view on the matter. But what what it ultimately comes down to is, statistically and probabilistically speaking, going into this game, Dortmund were playing at home against Anderlecht. Chances were they were certainly heavy favourites to win that game. The chance of them actually losing it, period, was pretty slim, but was our best chance of us, you know, getting a win and then they're somehow losing at home to Anderlecht, perhaps given the form that they've been on. I don't think anyone before that game was really sort of banking on, okay, well, you know, Anderlecht might get a draw. Why don't we just go all out and like and put six past this this Galatasaray side at their in their own stadium? In fact, no, I- listen, but listen, I, I understand what you're saying about half time, but what it comes down to is going into the game. What was far more important from us because where we really the issue we really want to talk about is actually the three 0 when the three 0 up against Anderlecht. That's that, I mean that that's where the issue fundamentally lies about us coming second. I don't think it's at all anything to do with what happened in Galatasaray because quite frankly we've got an incredibly difficult period in the Premier League coming up right now, which is far far more important than that minute chance of us going in at halftime at three 0 up with Dortmund still drawing against Anderlecht. The chance of that you know going into the game that scenario being open to us was slim. And resting players isn't just about, you know, the 90 minutes of football that they play. When you go to Istanbul, you got to you got to get the team ready. The team has to get on the flight. They've got to fly over. They've got to do the pre-match preparation. It's from, you know, the Saturday game at Stoke. Within a couple of days, you're off to Istanbul. You're training. You're going through the talks. You're going through whatever goes on behind the scenes. You get into the stadium. You prepare yourself for the game. You're on the bench. You then after the game, you like you, you you pack up, you're off, you're back on the flight again, and you get another two days rest. Even if you haven't played, you've still been a part of that squad. You've been a you you've been very active in the kind of preparation you've had to do. So the actual amount of rest, even from not playing in that match, let's say you know one of the youngsters that didn't come on, 
there was still a lot of mental preparation that took place. There's still a lot of active components to that going into that game. And I think I'm, so, listen, I'm sorry, I got to stop you on this just real quick. I mean, if you're rotating so little during the season that your players are too tired to be on a plane and in a hotel, and you are not managing your team properly. You know, he didn't have to play all the starters against Anderlecht in the game we did wind up drawing 3-3. He didn't have to play them all against, you know, uh, various sides that we played this season. The fact of the matter is the manager doesn't rotate that much. And if you're telling me that he, he rotates so little that they can't even travel because even that alone will deny them the precious rest they need, then I say... What he's done leading up to this week isn't isn't good enough. And, and I, I don't want to dive into this anymore because it sounds incredibly precious of me to be aggravated after a 4-1 win. But I look at it in the context of the season. We are in the Champions League. We don't want to be Liverpool, who says, look, we were in the Champions League and then vanishes from it and is never heard from again. And we don't want to be a joke where all we say is, who cares if we finish in the top four? We're just going to get knocked out in the first round of the knockout stages anyway. At 3-0 against a bad Galatasaray team with Dortmund drawing, if you have your best players on the bench, you have a contingency where you say, I'm going to give us 25 or 30 minutes to really try to overhaul this goal difference because now I see a chance to face Shakhtar or Bayer Leverkusen in the next round as opposed to Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. And that's worth doing. That's just my opinion. I want to move on from it because we could argue about it all day long. I, I think you both made, and James, I think your points are valid. I just... I just question our rotation strategy across the balance of the season. And then it's like, once we decide we're going to rotate in a game, it's not like we're going to kind of rotate. We're going to bring guys who aren't even ready to be part of a first team at all whatsoever. Um, and I think maybe just maybe we overestimated the degree to which this was a full dead rubber, but l let's just move on. Cause there's other things to hit on. We can argue about this more offline because God knows I love uh, uh, to do that. And by the way, I want to emphasize something because anyone listening at this point is going to think that like I sit in my house and, you know, write death threats to myself on the wall and lipstick or something. Um, I, I love that we won. I, the goals were sensational. I enjoyed the match. It wasn't so much that I didn't enjoy watching the match. It's that afterwards I sort of evaluated it in the context of our champions league campaign. And it started to get to me a little bit. Um, let, let's, let's talk about the younger players. Cause I think there's, there's something to be talked about there. And then before we wrap up, I also want to get on to Podolsky because I think the discussion of Podolsky's role, if he's even here after January, is an interesting one. But, um, Paul, there were a lot of young players who got a chance to get a run out. Um, you know, from the start, Joel Campbell, he's a guy who divides opinion. At the beginning of the season, I didn't think there'd be a lot of room for him in the squad. I, did, I wasn't sure why we kept him, and I wasn't sure that the manager believed in him. I got a lot of pushback on that from people that really believed he was a, a top quality talent who was going to be an important part of this team and should be. I know it's just one game, but it was one relatively easy game. I don't think he really took the opportunity by the scruff of the neck. What did you think of Joel Campbell's performance? Uh, I concur with your kind of your setup statement on Campbell. That's pretty much how I feel about it, how you felt about it. So Joel Campbell yesterday for me, uh, took a step backwards, um, and maybe two steps backwards. First, his performance. Um, he had a lot of space. He had the spotlight on him, the chance to perform, and I think he really fluffed his lines. And the second lines, a lot of lines he fluffed was, yesterday was a chance for him, if he wasn't going to play brilliantly, to play well as part of the team. And to me, he largely attempted to pad his highlight reel his YouTube vid for his future career. And I, I think that was a second kind of strike against him. And if that's that's what the manager has been sensing in practice, that he maybe hasn't been as brilliant as he needs to be, and that he's only in it for himself at the moment, then I can see why he's only getting a few minutes as we go along. And in terms yeah. of players, that mm -hmm. we young players uh, who played a stormer yesterday, I'd actually kind of come back to Bellerin, who I thought was really exciting on the left wing. And there's no reason a right-sided player can't play on the left wing. And, you know, of the young players, he was the one who got a chance when the game was still very, very meaningful in the first 20 minutes, the first 30 minutes, the first 45. I think the, it was harder in the second half for the young players to shine. So those are kind of be 
my low point and my high point of people who had their opportunity yesterday. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think the biggest thing I noticed with with Joel Campbell is he just doesn't seem to get his head up and, and look for, for passing opportunities mm. and certainly not early enough. And, you know, he, he he did have a chance to score a goal. I thought he was a little unlucky with a one-two that he played that was that was actually really nicely played. And I thought the shot was well taken. But by and large, I think he always wants to drift inside. He certainly isn't a winger. He doesn't get his head up and 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 move the ball quickly enough, and a lot of opportunities were spurned because he he took that extra touch, and um, it it certainly doesn't bode well for his opportunities going forward. And based on his opportunities that he's had pr- prior to this, I, it doesn't appear that the manager has a lot of confidence in him. I mean, the the way he was used in Stoke, where he got on with about 40 seconds left, you know, I thought was telling. Um, James, first of all. Uh, I want to ask you a question so I have another chance to interrupt you and scream at you some more. Um, uh, no, I don't want to do that, and I apologize for doing that in the first place. But um, what did you think of Joel Campbell? And also, did did we see enough of of Zellalem or Maitland-Niles or O'Connor, if that is his real name, um, to really even make a judgment? I don't feel any of them are particularly close to the first team action whatsoever. So I'm I'm sort of a, a little disinclined to overanalyze their performance but of that crop of young players and 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 joel campbell what what did you think of what you saw last night yeah i thought joel campbell was all right i think we pretty much saw in the flesh why uh wenger's been fairly restrictive in the amount of game time joel's been given this season he seems like a pretty decent individual player he can take on a man um there's something semi-exciting about him, but I think you guys have covered the points fairly well. He didn't really come across as a particularly strong team player, especially, I mean, yesterday was a pretty open game, which there was a lot of space on the flanks. We saw Bellerin and Debushi be uh, put in behind um, that high line on, on several occasions. Um, most of them, they were just sort of just offside, but there was plenty of space for the wingers to really take advantage of. Um, and I thought it was really a perfect game for a player of his ilk to really shine. And I think you you know, you, you very much saw that, you know, it was a game that sort of suited Podolsky quite um, pretty perfectly. But yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he, he's, he's a decent player. I think the one thing that's, you know, maybe interesting to add is that, you know, we give, we give this squad a lot of stick, especially for the lack of depth we have at the back. But given the significant number of injuries we're, we're faced with at the moment, and given the incredible number of players that we rested and didn't even bring with us to Turkey, I thought it was a fairly... I thought it was, you know, especially from a forwards point of view, it was pretty impressive the kind of team we were still able to put out, given the kind of dead rubberish um, feeling um, the game had. Um, but you're yeah. going to get me worked up again. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, listen, I, with with regards to the three young players, it's yeah, it's great experience for them to be able to play in a Champions League game. There's there's not really much you can really take from from it. I mean, they're thrown into a game by which that point was fairly sort of pedestrian and uh, you know they it, it's a very you know when you have so when you've made such a significant number of changes um with players that aren't that accustomed to the first team even uh, you know outside of their own individual performance it can be quite difficult to settle in i think you know it's very it's very difficult to kind of take that um small sort of 45 minute period and truly judge those players i think all it is is an experience i mean i thought actually the one probably the most interesting thing was when O'Connor came in, and I think it may be worth mentioning talking about Debushi for a little bit and how good it is to have him back. But when O'Connor came in, he's actually naturally a centre back, and obviously, if it was a game in which we were really concerned as to sort of the end result, you would probably naturally have seen O'Connor come in at centre back and push Chambers out to the right. But it was intriguing for me to see O'Connor be pushed out to right back, given that he, I don't think he's ever played there. Um, because I think it was a strong indication of the fact that Wenger very much sees Chambers, now that Debushi is back, um, as a player that's going to be playing a lot more in the centre. Um, because, you know, assuming that we don't have a long-term injury um, with Mathieu, obviously given the injury that we've incurred with Monreal and the kind of chronic problem we have with Koscielny, chances are that over the next coming weeks, the position in which Chambers is more likely to be um, played is, is in that centre-back position. I think watching O'Connor come in at right back was a very strong indication of that fact itself um, to give Chambers some more game time there. Um, 
but yeah, no, I mean, I think just, I mean, very quickly since I mentioned it, it was it was great to have Matthew back. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was extremely solid. Um, that would be a huge help to us going forward. And I, you know, he did look a bit tired, or sort of seventy minutes into the game, but um, I'm very excited to see him back in the side. Yeah, I mean, the the upshot of this is that we are getting closer and closer to seeing players, or at least in theory, seeing players like Ozil, uh, Walcott, Debushi, you know, possibly Koscielny, you know, be back and play more often. And, and uh, you know, for all the negativity, I will say that I think there is a, there is going to come a period of this season when this Arsenal team looks very intimidating and plays very well. That's just a shame that that period is not going to be, you know, a little earlier, but but the fact that it comes at all could could be very important. Um, I want to start to wrap up, but I, I think we have to get to Lucas Podolski. He, he because he's a polarizing figure, and even after the game on Twitter, there were lots of little fights breaking out, you know, or, or debates uh, depending on who you follow, um, you know, about Podolski's role. Paul, is there room in the squad? for a player who's one dimensional when the one dimension is banging in goals at an alarming rate uh, and basically trying to break the frame of the goal? Um, there is, there's always a place for Lucas Podolski. Uh, he's just, I mean, he's deadly, he's dynamite. And I think we all know why. And I think, I don't, don't think he's one dimensional. I think he's two dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it was kind of funny because, uh, I saw the the uh, you know the narrative yesterday that between his first goal and his last goal he did nothing, but that's not true. I've watched that first thirty minutes three times, and he might he might have done it rather uh, inelegantly, but he was charging up and down. Uh, the second goal, uh, Ramsey's goal, I think it is, starts because uh, Lucas actually has a go at tracking back just to see what that feels like and knocks over the Turkish guy clumsily from behind, but brilliantly throws his arms up, proclaiming his innocence. Um, (laughs) In a Champions League tie, those are normally given to the other team. You know, this isn't us versus Stoke and their their uh, bowling is over. Um, But we win the ball back and, you know, that's not a one-off. He barges... up the other end, he barges some guy over the touchline, or, or uh, sorry, over the byline. Down the other end, he runs, knocks somebody else over. So he's he's charging around like a bull in a china shop, knocking people over. I I thought he had a lot of nice touches. Uh, he had the one off the bar. He had the one into the side netting. So to say he did two things in that game is just something people tell themselves about Podolski. Now, that doesn't make him an all-round player. I think he's a really good counter-attacking player, too. As somebody said, he does two things. Uh, you know, he shoots rockets, and he runs really fast in a straight line. Um, you know, he, he has a much better t- touch than than we often give him credit for. Uh, his one-twos, his triangles are decent, if not brilliant. Um, the issue is he's not, he's still not truly an Arsenal player, and therefore... You know, he's not really a candidate for our 90 minutes unless we're we're right. playing a more counter-attacking setup. Um, okay. But would I would I want him on the bench? Yes. Does he want to be on the bench after January? I don't think so. What about you, That's James? I mean, no, no, I think that I think you summed it up pretty nicely there. I mean, what about you, James? I think everybody is quick to point out Podolsky's deficiencies, but but his qualities are clear and they're important. I think it may be moot as he might be off in January, but while he is here, I mean, do you think you have to find more playing opportunities for, for a player who can finish like he can and be so clinical? Or do you just think there's too many good players vying for those positions who add more dimensions to the game than he does? Yeah, I think just that, to be honest. I think he's a great player to have in your squad. I think the biggest issue we face with Lucas is the problem is that game against Galatasaray last night, Galatasaray, sorry, um, was pretty perfect for Lucas. I mean, there was a lot of space um, down the flanks. Um, it was it was fairly easy, you know, comparatively to other games to be able to get him um, in behind the back line um, and get him into positions where he sort of flourishes. The issue really is, is that, <laughs> let's say around 90% of the time in the Premier League, we're up against 
very compact defenses, teams that sit very deep, have two strong line, you know, back lines of five. There's very little space. It's very difficult to fashion out chances. He's not a player that's great at beating a man, creating space for himself. His movement, albeit strong, when as as Paul said, when he's running in a very straight line, it's a very direct open space, is good. His, his movement as a whole to create space for himself isn't particularly strong. So I think he's a player that struggles for us to sort of fashion out chances for him in the types of games where we really need players to um to truly be kind of you know winning games for us and I think that's why we tend to see Alex or Alexis or you know Danny out wide preferred ahead of Lucas in a, in a lot of the types of games that we play and yeah I mean I, I I definitely agree that he's he's much more of a sort of counter-attacking brand of um of footballer or a, you know a footballer that you can you can throw in in the last you know 10 minutes in the same way in which we did against Anderlecht when you're just really desperate for a goal and something doesn't you know things don't seem to be uh happening for you uh so you know I, I just don't think unfortunately especially given the kind of teams we come up against and the way in which we play he's a he's a player that could ever really be a, 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 a pure first teamer but I think he's a very valuable member of the squad um but obviously for a player with you know his kind of pedigree and the, the number of national caps etc that he has and and that left boot of his you know he's not someone that's going to want to be on the bench for too long but hopefully you know, ideally, hopefully we can convince him to at least to stay until the summer and then sell him off then, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it, it's a tough one, right? Because um, he's like the anti-Gervinho. Gervinho did so much on the pitch, uh, worked hard, tremendous dribbler, seemed to have a great engine. But when the final ball was needed, he just didn't seem to be able to deliver it for us. And Podolsky, you know, he doesn't necessarily do a lot of the things that we'd like to see a player do where, where you're just aware of him throughout the game. But if the ball falls to him in a good position, you, you just, you, you feel confident he's good. He's going to score. And, and I, I think also he doesn't get enough credit for his crossing ability. I mean, some of the best crosses I've seen put in over the last few years have been from Podolsky. I, I want to wrap up, but before we do, Paul, you have anything you want to add on Podolsky just quickly? Just a quick point. I think James made a really good point that he doesn't, that he doesn't suit our typical game where we're facing a packed defense. I just wonder, you know, our, our real issue is beating the top three, four, five teams. Um, and in a more cut and thrust back and forth game, um, isn't he the guy you want on your bench? Maybe not in your starting 11, because with 20 minutes to go uh, and Chelsea 1-0 up um, or uh, all tied, will we get those chances at the back where one or two balls fall to Podolsky and the main reason as a manager I would want him is because maybe he is the answer to the 10% of our games not the 90% of our games anyway that's my thought yeah no I analogized him to Shavin on Twitter the other night in that um, you know there are a lot of things that seem to be missing from his game but he still seems able to make the telling contribution and you know yeah. it, it's easy to write that off but it's a special quality. Um, okay, before we wrap up, I think there's one more important piece of business, and Paul, I'll stay with you. Um, care to laugh at Liverpool? Um, just bad karma to laugh at Liverpool. If I were the laughing at Liverpool type, uh, I, I I laugh at Tottenham a lot. I don't laugh at Liverpool. I feel there, there there's a great great tweet by some guy from uh, from Tottenham laughing at Liverpool, saying. It must have been at one of those key moments in history where he says, ha, 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 Liverpool, you don't get it. You're the new Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, that's going back, I don't know if it's like months or like a year or when they went on their Tottenham buying spree in the summer or whatever. But if I were the laughing, this, Liverpool are just a little too close to home. They're, 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 our, they're, on a spectrum, they're a couple of steps closer to us than Tottenham, but they're kind of Tottenham heavy. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm certainly happy to laugh heartily and out loud at Liverpool. The only pause I have for uh, consideration is that we go to Anfield not this weekend but next weekend, yeah. and oh, we we have got to win that game. Have to win that game. Okay, so James, since Paul's killjoy. Um, on the level of, I don't know, me. Uh, would, would you quickly laugh at Liverpool for us? I mean, it's it's impossible not to love what's going on. I think the only the only issue that it, it creates is 
given the kind of atmosphere surrounding our, very, our own club, is I think there's a sort of sense that certain fans are kind of fearful of, of us following that path. But if you want me to put a positive light on that, I'm given the mood I'm in, I'm going to go out on a whim and I'm going to say that February, I've, I've said this on my on my Twitter handle, so you can you can send as much abuse as you want to me with, with plenty of proof come February now. But I think this time February, the large, large, large majority of this Arsenal fan base will be extremely positive about this side. Um, and I think then we'll be able to fully sort of in, enjoy and lambast the, uh, both the Spurs and, and the Liverpool fans. I, 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 as you know, Elliot, I have much faith. But you know, I what? know you do that. That is why I got your Twitter handle wrong at the start of the show. <laughs> but um, just since we're about to um, wrap up, just a very quick mention of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who I thought was superb in the central midfield um, and was almost well, actually not not quite, but was was a pure delight to watch. I mean, the way in which he drives, you know, he drove through this the center of the midfield. I think he was he set up the the first Ramsey goal. Um, and he, he had a great all-round game. But yeah, I thought I would just... Uh... I, I, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I think, you know, there were, part of a team improving and a team getting better is that your best players don't drop a level and some of your up-and-coming players improve. Unfortunately for us, we've seen some of our best players like Ramsey drop a level. We've had injuries. But but one real bright spot this season is Oxlade-Chamberlain is definitely taking advantage of his opportunities now. And, and you see the improvement in his game, which is great. Um, I think we should leave it there. I don't think it makes a lot of sense right now to talk too much about Newcastle. We have Newcastle at the Emirates at the weekend. Uh, uh, Newcastle fresh off beating Chelsea. So hopefully we pat them on the back, thank them for ending their invincible run not that it was much of a run and uh then get on with the business of uh beating them into submission um anyway as always it was a pleasure and 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 just to emphasize if you want to abuse me on twitter um about you know my bizarre opinions on last night's match you absolutely can that's arse to mouse on twitter is where you can find me <laughs> um my name is tim clark and it's arse to mouse he blocked me he <laughs> did he? All right, we'll yeah. we'll get that we'll get that fixed. We can sort that out. Um, uh, although I I'm gonna block you after the podcast. <laughs> okay, so in in concluding, once again, if you want to find these uh, fine gentlemen and uh, abuse them on Twitter, you can find James at GoonerFanatic49. James, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. I think I'm gonna go off and daydream about Aaron Ramsey and that beard of his for a little while. As you do, yeah. I I you know what? I'm back. I'm back on the bandwagon. Until one, until Saturday. One at a time, guys. One at a time. Yeah, one at a time. And and Paul, you can find him at Poznan in my pants, unless you've done the sensible thing and blocked him already as well. Paul, thanks again. <laughs> thanks, Elliot. Thanks, James. Cheers. And I am actually Elliot at Yankee Gunner if you want to abuse me for my ridiculous opinions. Uh, we'll talk to you after the Newcastle game. Cheers. Woohoo. Bye bye. <laughs>